All right, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Taylor Petrie, if you haven't heard that yet. I am the relational ministry leader here at Life Church, and we're going to dive right on in to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, Taming the Tongue. Uh, but before we go right into the text, I want to give a little bit of context, a little bit of background about what James is so we can refresh our memories, or maybe it's your first time joining. Uh, we want to highlight the importance of who James is, so that way as we read this, we can get a little more of an insight as to why he's saying the things that he's saying. So James is the brother of Jesus. He grew up with him in a small town in Nazareth. They were carp- a carpenter family. Uh, and James had all of these experiences, all these encounters that you would expect brothers to have growing up, but his brother is claiming to be the son of God. And this poses a problem with James. Uh, he doesn't really believe it uh, as he grows up until Jesus resurrects and reveals himself to several people, one of those people being his brother, James. So James then goes on to become a leader in the first church in Jerusalem. And as he's becoming a teacher or leader of the church, you have to understand the context at that time was that there's Jewish people who follow tradition, who follow laws, and James is having to teach them how to do things in a new way. So he's taking this culture and he's breaking down barriers and he's saying, listen, this is what Jesus has said. This is how to live a Christian life practically. And when you read James, it's a very practical book, but it poses many many obstacles for us as we read through this because it reads so simple, yet really everything within it challenges us as we press into our faith. So understanding the context of this book will help us out because we've talked before about facing trials and how we're supposed to consider it pure joy when you face a trial, but it doesn't seem that way. And here we're going to talk this week about taming the tongue, and it seems like, okay, I can do that, but really at the end of the day, we're going to see a few questions that might arise throughout what James tells us. He's going to teach us about taming the tongue, and in the same breath, he's going to say that you can't even do it yourself. So why are you teaching it to me, James? Second thing is maybe for us to understand the things that we say and the impact or the value that they would have on other people. Because as Christians, we tend to say things to others, and it tends to hurt other people, whether it was our intention or not. So James is really calling us throughout this part of scripture to be more considerate of the things that we say in order to build the body and the church. So, verse 1, he says this. says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Okay, well you read that text and it's like, all right, well that doesn't apply to me. Next. That's what we would see at face value, right? And I'm going to present this kind of on both sides of the coin, if you will. So a teacher in this text was considered an expert or a master in something that they would do. So from one aspect, you would say the teacher is this person up on stage or whoever's leading a church. That would be a teacher, so it would be irrelevant for me to understand. And I'll challenge you with that in a second. But in another sense, like, aren't we all responsible for teaching? Aren't we all called to be disciples, to go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So in one sense... We all are really held with teaching, and and the severity to that is that we, teaching the word of God or teaching who Jesus is to other people should not be taken lightly. But James says, not many of you should become teachers, and that's where it's like, okay, so maybe it's just not me. Maybe I won't do it. Stay away from that. I won't have the problem. But I think you can relate to this. Whether you 
or someone you know or someone you love, maybe in this room or a family member or whatever that might be, have been in a bad relationship with a leader in the church before? Maybe you've been burnt out by a church. Maybe you've been burnt out from your faith. Maybe there's strained relationships within the people that you've come to know throughout your time in the church. And a lot of what happens is that the leaders of the church are the ones leading the flock astray. And I've talked with people before who said they've been in church their entire life for 30 years. And they've left the church and they've come to a new place and said, I can't believe that's what I was believing and doing for my entire life. That's the reality, and what happens is, it's easier, I've said this before, Satan doesn't have to work hard to really do anything, and he's not going to come after an entire flock if he can just come after the shepherd, right? And so if Satan continues to work in the life of someone, and he pulls the teacher here, the leader here, the flock would follow the shepherd, right? And that problem we face in today's church is that the shepherds are playing the shepherd, that the, the leaders of the church are playing Jesus to people rather than leading people to know who Jesus is, right? And so there's severity to this, right? The motto at Life Church is to say that we are helping everyone take their next step towards Jesus together. So we value community. We value being in a place where we can build one another up and speak life into one another and encourage and share testimonies and stories. But we're helping lead you to Jesus not to ourselves or the person teaching, because that's not the design of the church in the first place. So the reality in today's world is to say that I know people close to me who refuse to come to church because of relationships that they've had with someone who's leading the congregation. And that cuts deep because that was never our design in the first place. And now we have a whole world of people who are hurt by Christianity, and it was never even Jesus doing them wrong. It was the, the person in charge of doing the teachings. So there is severity to what he says here. He says people get these platforms. You think that standing up on a stage makes you elevated. All it really should do is expose. And we get social media or, or however we get followers. People start coming to us and they're like, yeah, I kind of like the way that guy talks or I like these things. That's good and well. But when we build people's egos and they aren't focused on the mission, they're not focused on what God's calling us to, now those people start to seek the followers and not the Savior. And so now we're leading people astray, and as shepherds, we would stand more accountable for the flock at the end of the day. But understanding that regardless of what your belief on the word, uh, as you open up the context of Scripture, whatever you believe a teacher is, Understand there's a severity to holding God's word and sharing that with someone else because we want to ensure we're bringing people to Christ, not building barriers so people can't get to really know who he is in the first place. He goes on in verse 2 to say this. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. How many of you are perfect? Yeah, that's an easy answer. My mom raised her hand last service. But... This is a reality, like, we know, you know the answer, why do you even ask it? Well, James is saying, if you are perfect, you would be able to bridle your whole body. Our answer is, well, I'm not perfect. Therefore, you can't bridle your body, let alone your tongue. We all stumble. We all fall short of the glory of the Lord. We're all sinners who've been saved by grace through our faith in Jesus. So it makes you think, why do we always, 
what's this idea of perfection James is talking about? Because I don't think I'm perfect. Like, I'll admit I'm not. Far from it. Well, what happens is, when we disagree with other people, when we get into these arguments about something that we believe in, like, I'm firm on believing in this topic or idea, so whatever you have to say about it doesn't matter because this is what's right to me. What happens is, if you continue to keep playing right, I'm right, I'm right, somebody else will always have to be wrong. And in in that same idea, then somebody, you, will be playing perfect. If you could never be wrong, then you must be perfect, right? And James goes on to highlight, he's like, no, all of us, even the teachers, even the people that are teaching God's word, who Jesus is, they stumble, we all do. None of us are ever perfect, but we put on this false sense of perfection, and that's not what we're called to do. So, verse 3, this is where we're going to kind of land on for just a minute here. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I don't know a lot about horses, and so I had to talk with Mike about this part, and I'll just keep this part short. When you want to steer a horse in a certain direction, you put a bit in their mouth. There's different types of bits, and ultimately what the bit does is that it's able to, through the reins, you can turn the horse's head, and wherever the horse looks, it will go, right? That's all I'm going to talk about about horses. I know a lot more about ships. I was in the military for almost 10 years, uh, specifically the Navy, and I wasn't stationed on ships, but I deployed Um, with ships when we would go from wherever we were going. So assume this. If a ship has such a small rudder, right? Think about this warship, this tons and tons and tons of steel that doesn't make sense how it's floating in the first place. It's controlled in its direction by the small rudder, right? And if I'm going on deployment, let's call from San Diego, California, across the Pacific Ocean to Vladivostok, Russia, right? I got point A, I've got point B. And and generally, when you're navigating, you would set these waypoints. You would account for fuel, you would account for food, and, you know, all these different things, weather. And you would set these points that you need to steer the ship at so that you can get from San Diego to Russia. Now, those waypoints generally don't take a lot of movement. It's something small, it's something subtle. But if you neglect steering the ship to the precise Uh, direction that you're supposed to be traveling in, even one or two degrees, you'll miss your waypoints and you'll miss your destination. Meaning if if I started a ship one degree off course from San Diego, California, and it goes all the way across the ocean, and you think you're in Russia, you're not gonna be in Russia. You're gonna be somewhere else. But I think how similar is that with our tongue? Sometimes when we speak things, we might not even know the things that we're saying we think we're, we're saying something to someone or we think our life's headed in one direction, but by the things that we've allowed ourselves to speak or the things we've spoken to others, we start to drift slightly. And it's not recognizable until you've hit that destination and you go, oh, that's not where I intended to be. And the problem is, is there's no accountability at who's in control of it. Like we're just letting, we're assuming that whoever's in control is driving it right and we say we want to go here so we would assume a warship would be able to get from point A to point B. But if it goes unchecked, it's going to end up in a different destination and it's small. Now, I want to pose the other side of this to say 
If there's ever a man overboard on a ship, if somebody's ever lost at sea, the first thing that happens is the emergency is announced within the ship. The ship that was steering in one direction immediately stops and uses as much rudder as it can to turn the ship in the tightest circle to bring it back to the last known point, right? So the ship literally just starts leaning and it's stopped and it's, this, it's the most awkward, quiet noise you could ever have in the middle of the ocean. What happens is there's somebody... There's, miss, there's somebody missing, there's an emergency, so we're using as much rudder as we can. Or, if you're navigating, you need GPS. One way to recalibrate your GPS, if things aren't adding up, is you can spin in circles. You're using as much rudder as you can. I've also done uh, some counter-narcotics missions in Central and South America, uh, where we literally bust the cartel, and whenever they see a helicopter in the middle of the ocean uh, roll up on them, they tend to try to run away. Uh, when a helicopter can just sit here like this and they just keep doing this. They're using as much rudder as they can to run away from something. So think about that. Have you ever talked with someone and you can already tell that something's going on inside of their body, inside of their heart, just by the way they speak? The, the way they speak, the more that's going on within them, it's evident. Like, hey, what's going on, man? Are you okay? Because they could have a state of emergency within them. They could be lost. They could be running away from something. Regardless of how you view that, at the end of the day, the way we use our tongue is evident to other people. But sometimes if it goes unchecked, we end up in a different destination. But sometimes it's just undeniable that something's happening in someone's life, right? So I want to I kind of rein that in to think about this. If, if it has to do with our tongue uh, being effective, right, is what James saying really about the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder on a ship? I don't think it is. I think what he's saying is it's about who's in control of those things because if you put a bit in the horse's mouth and nobody to steer the horse, it's useless. The bit's useless. The horse is useless. If you put a rudder on a warship, it's nothing more than just floating steel until you put the right person in charge to steer the ship. So really we have to question ourselves to say, it's not really so much just my tongue as it is who I'm letting speak through me. And this is where, as Christians, it's kind of a tough subject, it's kind of a sensitive subject, because why would we ever want to admit that we don't understand how to speak to people? Like, that's part of what we're supposed to be doing. But understand the difference within you driving the ship and with the Holy Spirit driving the ship can mean victory and defeat. Because if you left a horse in a stable, it can't do anything. If you left a ship in a harbor, it can't go to war. It can't fight battle. So what happens is when, when we recognize that people are seeing us as, oh, there's something wrong because of the way I speak, we tend to kind of clam up. We kind of shut down. So we realize maybe people do see something going on. Maybe I don't want them to see it or maybe I want them to see it, whatever the case might be. When people see that, we tend to clam up. And you know the phrase like don't say anything if you don't have anything nice to say at all. That's not a solution though. If you left that ship in the harbor, it's useless in battle. So if you want to see victory, you would have to put someone in charge of your vessel so it can go to sea and that it can fight battle. That's what he's trying to pose here with this whole, yes, the tongue is small and it's necessary, it's effective, but it is useless if we don't put the right person in control. He goes on in this, he says in verse 5, 
He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James doesn't like the tongue. (laughs) You can ruin people's lives. It's just set on fire by hell. It's just evil. So think through this. As Christians, when we speak to people, a simple, careless, spoken word has the ability to ruin someone's life. Why? Because we have no clue where someone else stands in their relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, when we say something to someone, have we really even evaluated what that's going to do for someone? Have we, have we assessed the impact or the value of the words that we're going to say? Because a small spark can create a forest fire. And I was trying to think of this kind of analogy of like someone who's firm in their faith and someone who's struggling with it or trying to figure it out. It's like having wet wood and dry wood and you're trying to start a fire. Like if you try to throw sparks at a, at a, a sogging wet log, it's just not going to catch on fire. But ultimately, if it's exposed to fire long enough, it would dry out and be able to catch flame. Or a dry uh, piece of wood, for example, or kindling, whatever. If you throw a spark on that, it's much more prone to catching on fire. And I can kind of relate to this little story. Like if you think of wildfires, I lived in San Diego for eight years. uh, And I remember waking up and seeing very hazy skies and wondering what that was. And it was wildfires. It's a real thing. Uh, I didn't know that San Diego is a desert. And I mean, we moved into a house out there and the backyard was dirt and sand. And I was like, are we just supposed to ignore like what that area is? Like, what can you use that for? It was literally just dusty dirt. And I'm like, okay. So we ended up getting grass installed, which was a terrible idea because the Midwesterners wanted grass, right? Everybody else has turf. We put grass in and it died right away. Uh, 114 degree weather, sun blistering down on it. Then learned that water can even kill grass, which blew my mind. Nonetheless, I remember having a small little fire pit with a little mesh top on it from Lowe's or something. I remember had a little bonfire in our yard. And one little tiny spark got out of there. And I'm not kidding you when I say, like, it's kind of terrifying when I relive it. The grass caught on fire, and it was just black, and went, and I was like, oh, no. And I, I grabbed a hose, and there's literally a ring of fire spreading around my yard, which is like half the size of the stage. And I'm like, I probably just started the next wildfire in Southern California. Like, I was terrified. And then I was thinking about this, and I was like, we do that as Christians. I don't think we ever intend to hurt someone. I don't think we ever intend by our words to change someone's trajectory towards Jesus and end up pushing them away. I don't think that's our intention. I didn't intend on almost doing that. But what happens is, when we're not careful with what we say, we do those things. I was thinking through one thing that really bothered me uh, was when, uh, when Sherry was sick and everybody was talking to Mike, even myself, uh, or maybe you've had a loved one. I've had family members who uh, have lost their children. And when people are grieving, the first thing Christian people would say are, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? And the response is like, no, I'm not. And that hurts people. Or have you heard this phrase? God just needed him more than you did. Heaven needed him more. Maybe their purpose is in heaven. 
Like those words aren't intended to hurt people. Those words are meant to try to say, hey, I know you're grieving and I know you're suffering and I want to stand here in the middle of it with you, so let me try to encourage you in the midst of it. But what do we end up doing when we say those words? We're trying to play someone we're not and we're trying to expect a result that we could never expect. Sometimes it's better to say nothing and be more intentional with our words than to say something because I know people who have lost their own children, who have lost their faith because of what a Christian has said to them and what multiple Christians say. And this is the problem. It's the heart behind the matter, right? Like it's in the name of Christ or in the name of the church that we say these things. So now people don't trust Jesus or the church because of what we have said. And it's, again, it's not our intention. The motive behind our heart is genuine. We want to love on them. But sometimes if we don't put our tongue in check, we end up creating these small sparks. But if that small spark can ruin someone's life, if it can take someone out of their faith and push them away from their relationship with Christ, maybe a simple spoken word could build someone up and bring them into a right-standing relationship with Jesus. Maybe that same tongue could be used for its intended purpose, yet so often, and James is going to continue to talk about how evil the tongue is. Maybe instead of letting the devil borrow it, we let God use the thing that he gave us. It all comes from a place of intentionality. Verse 7 goes on to say this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He hates the tongue. But backing up to think about this whole idea of your tongue isn't, it's not just about the tongue, it's about the condition of our hearts and who's in control of that as well, right? Somebody has to be in control of our hearts as Christians. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the only one who could captivate us and lead us, right? So think about the idea of the beginning of creation, God, from nothing, created the heavens and the earth. He started creating things. He created the animals of the land and sea and the air. And then he created us in his image, and he said, you have dominion over all those things. So think of whatever exotic animal you want to. You can tame that. But you will not be able to tame the muscle that's in your mouth. The very one that I give you, you won't be able to tame. Why? Because if he gave us dominion over those things, Someone would have to have dominion over us, and that's God. He is the only one who could ever tame our tongues to begin with. So we then say, okay, James, all right, James, if you're going to say we need to tame our tongue and I can't do it, what's my role? Like, people think that we can just work harder to do things better for the Holy Spirit, and that's not really true. It's about the intentionality, and it's about the complete surrender because what happens as Christians is when we say we want someone to be in control of our heart and our thoughts and our, and our speech, we've said yes to Jesus, but we've never let anything go that really resides in our hearts. We've really never let the jealousy and the anger and the bitterness and the malice go away. And we've said, Jesus, come on in. But you haven't evicted those things first. So then you don't see the evidence of it. And you see those other things coming out. And you're like, where's Jesus? And he, he's a little bit there but you haven't surrendered your heart to him and let everything else go so that he can sit on the throne. And what's interesting about not only does God have control over our tongue, is he goes on to say that we're gonna use our tongue 
to curse the same people that have the same problem as us. So look at this, verse, verses 9 and 10. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The very people who have the same problem, who struggle with the same thing, who could never tame the same thing, use it to lash out at one another. Believers, unbelievers, whatever the case may be, God gave us this one thing, and then we use it against one another. Yet it was meant to do the opposite of that. It was meant to build. If you think about it, how would you share the gospel? Like, How do you build one another up? It's by the things that we're saying and doing and communicating to one another. Yet we're putting a barrier up in today's world to say, like, I can never understand that person's perspective on this. How would I ever be able to minister to them? So God, who created the heavens and the earth, is in control of our tongue. And think about the history of, we've, we've read some stories within the Bible about Peter, right? Like when Peter confessed Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, then what did he do? He denied him three times. John said, hey, love everybody. Love your neighbor. It would be great. And then later we find John and the apostle James, different James, saying, well, we should probably call fire down on the Samaritan village. They're saying, hey, yeah, we understand in one sense what the intended purpose is, but right now with these circumstances surrounding us, I really don't understand how I could ever use it for good. So are they perfect? No. Are we perfect? No. We all stumble, and we stumble specifically when it comes to our speech. I think what's convicting about that is that if I told you, because this is the reality, Jesus were standing right before you, before you wanted to say something to your greatest enemy, would you still say it? No. Yet we allow ourselves to speak out of places of emotion rather than come from a place of understanding and surrender to what God called us to. He says this in verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Matthew, backing up into Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about this idea of, it should be evident to people the fruit that you bear. Meaning, if you say you're a Christian, it should be evident to anyone who sees you that you are a Christian, right? So if I were to ask someone that you know, say, hey, what do you think of them? What do you think their belief system is? They're probably going to say like one of three things. Either, yep, you've got the fruit. B, no, you don't have the fruit. Or maybe they're going to say, uh, yeah, that's not that fruit tree at all. They just try to be that fruit tree. The reality of assessing where we stand should be evident to others because in, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, if there's evil stored up in here, then evil will come out of us. If there's good stored up in here, the good will come out of us. And one day we all have a judgment that we will stand before God for every word, every thought, every action. And we'll give an account to these things. And Jesus says, by your words, you can be acquitted. Or by your words, you can be condemned. There's severity in the word of God. There's severity in the words that come from our tongues. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I want to close with this kind of story. And I, I said this last service, but normally we would say, like, all right, well, here's a story of how I got better at it, and everything's good to go. You try this, and it'll work. 
Anybody got one of those? You can come up here, because I don't. I struggle with this all the time. I wrestle my flesh all the time with this. When we moved out to the farmhouse in Ossian, uh, one of the things we noticed was that we needed a new water heater, water softener, electric panel, there was plumbing that needed done, and electric work that needed done. So, me being new to Ossian, the place I'd never heard of really before, uh, I said, all right, well, let's look at some companies and let's figure out how we can get this fixed. So we did, and I had an owner come over to a house, and he did a walkthrough with me. He said, with parts and labor, here's your quote. I said, all right, that works for me. If that's everything said and done, let's go forward. Uh, let's start the work. And so we did. And then about two months later, they were finished, uh, something that should have taken about two weeks, and everything went wrong in the process. Uh, water softener leaked everywhere twice, actually. Uh, wires were left hanging, exposed, went without power. I don't remember the number of things that went wrong, but it was just a nightmare. Well, I got a nice little bill in the mail at the end of it, you know, like the thing that's like, all right, we're done with this. And the bill was thousands upon thousands of dollars more than we were quoted. Your response is probably the same as mine. It's like, um, hello? I did not agree with it. And so I just said, hey, let me call the supervisor or talk to the supervisor or the owner. I want to talk with someone who knows what's happening because I'm reading this list and none of this was done or this is wrong. This is way more than I ever agreed to. And the supervisor and I kept going back and forth. He's like, well, is the work done? I'm like, I mean, somewhat. <laughs> Not all of it's done. I don't agree with this. And we went through and we went back and forth, right? Disagreements. I said, this is what I see and this is the truth of what I'm looking at right now. And he said, well, this is my perspective. I said, well, I would like to speak with the owner, please, because I want to make this right. And I don't want to deal with this anymore. He said, well, you're not going to talk to our owner. You can pay the bill. I said, well, then I'm going to have to contact another business to see if this is okay because this doesn't make sense to me. There's false statements in there. I end up getting a red letter in the mail from a collections agency that says, hey, you're going to pay this amount. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's frustrating for anybody to see, like, no, you don't know the truth. You don't know how wronged I was and how this is incorrect. And here's somebody else saying, no, pay it. So I, I came and told Mike, I'm like, Mike, I want to punch this guy in the face. What do I do? I know the Bible says, shall not be a striker. But I'm wrestling with this idea, and Mike's laughing, you know, typical Mike. And he's like, <laughs> just chalk it up to an experience. And I'm like, how? And I'm like, okay, I have to love that guy. I've got to treat him like I would treat anybody else. I've got to be able to open up a space for him to share the gospel? No way. Fast forward the story, I get a hold of the owner eventually. He had no clue what was happening. The guy kind of backdoored him, signed his name for him, and everything was settled. Everything went good, but that's not really the point of the story. What I'm frustrated with is that when my back was against the wall and I had nothing but words against somebody else's words, I failed in my response. Because now I built a barrier with someone who I can never share the gospel with probably ever again. Someone who probably needed the gospel. As a Christian, I think this is what happens when we get our backs against the wall and all we have are words. 
We might know the truth, but sometimes you have to keep part of that in your back pocket. So at the end of the day, when somebody's attacking your character, maybe, I mean, I've been there too, family members, friends, coworkers, someone said something about you that is so unspeakably untrue. It's the furthest thing from the truth, but you're telling other people now that that's who I am? How are you glorifying God with the words that you say in those moments? That's the challenge. That's, that's why James presents itself in such a unique way. Yeah, tame your tongue. Okay, we got it. Now get your back pushed against the wall and let, have, have people say untrue things about you and say, hey, tame your tongue. That's easy, right? No. I think that's where we fail in our, our Christian walk because the world is an easier response. You can push the world against the wall and they'll scratch you, pull you down, spit poison back at you. They'll use every weapon they can to take you down with them. But that's not our response. And part of saying yes to Christ and part of being the Christian is that you should have an expectation that's what's gonna happen your entire life. You're gonna be against a wall and people are gonna continue to come at you and the devil's gonna try to tear you down. So how are you standing firm in who you know you are who you know Christ to be, and how are you using your tongue for God's good and not just for the sake of your circumstances? Will you stand so I can pray for you, please? Heavenly Father, we come before you in surrender. Lord, we ask that you would lead us in our speech, in our thoughts, in our heart, in our minds, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would captivate us and lead us in your ways and and understand it's your will that will be done and not our own, Lord. I pray that we can learn to tame the tongue by surrendering to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in here today, maybe struggling with it as we all have, to know that they're not alone, but that, that you have sent your son so that we can have the Holy Spirit that can lead us and that can use our tongue for your good to build your kingdom. I pray that as we go forward, we can be aware of the things that we want to say and be aware of what you want us to say, Lord. We surrender our lives to you, God. We trust you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Space.
I want to challenge you this week. I want you to stop using your tongue to set those sparks in people's lives. And I want you to start thinking about ways in which we can use our tongues to give glory to God and to build the church. I think far too often what happens is we wait till a funeral or a eulogy to tell someone how much they meant to us or how valuable they were, impactful they were in our lives. So why wait? We can be calling people and thanking them for what they've done. We can be building one another up and building God's church and not giving the devil a minute of his time. And we can be spending that building God's kingdom. So I challenge you this week, reach out to someone. Tell them how important they are to you. I want to thank you for being here with us today. Pray for traveling mercies as you go your separate ways. We love you. God bless.